and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I am so fortunate to have with us today one of my favorite people, probably my family's favorite people too, Mimi Kamara, who is a makeup artist extraordinaire and an educator. Mimi does such a fantastic job doing my makeup. I just look like a whole different person. (laughs) She is an amazing woman who really knows how to explain the makeup game, I'd like to say, the tricks that work for everybody. She works on celebrities, but it's the stuff that she does for us, you know, the everyday people that I really appreciate. So today we're going to talk about her career path, how she got into this, and where she's going in the future. Welcome, Mimi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. Can you start by giving us a quick bio? Yeah, um, you guys already know my name is Mimi Kamara. I'm a New York City-based and traveling makeup artist and educator. Um, I don't really like to say, oh, I'm a celebrity makeup artist, because I think, you know, everyone is special and super important. One of the most recent things I did, I'll kind of start forward and then go back just a little bit. Um, I did a Grammys performance with Tamika Mallory doing her makeup for her performance with Little Baby and Killer Mike. And that was an amazing experience. Her message was so powerful in the work that she does for the Black community in general. So I was just honored to be a part of it and realized that I've fallen in love with award shows. And then prior to that, I was able to do Kiki Palmer's makeup for her hosting of the MTV VMAs. And prior to that, I've done a lot of work with her and also on Strahan, Sarah, and Kiki on Good Morning America. And it's been an amazing journey. That's great. In terms of the beauty industry, do you think it was a destination or detour for you? Can I say both? Sure. Explain why. I feel like it was a destination and a detour because I have my degree in psychology And that's what I went to school for. And I always have been kind of fascinated with helping people, getting to know people, talking to them. I love fixing things and helping and making things better. So for me as a makeup artist, I feel like that's really what I do. And makeup is secondary. I feel like I have the power to shift the energy in any space that I enter. And makeup is just a medium. So in a sense, it's kind of like, I'm still helping people. I'm still the person that comes with a solution. I'm still someone that, you know, a person trusts in a very intimate space. So it's not what I thought I would be doing, but it's definitely a destination because I'm still helping and healing in a way. That's major. And that explains a lot to me. It's almost like, I don't know if anybody's listening has watched The Princess Bride and one of the characters goes, ha ha. When you said psychology, I was like, ah. That's why it makes a whole lot of sense that, you know, there is a comfort level when Mimi is doing your makeup that is very rare, I would want to say. Tell me about your first job. When you got out of college, did you go directly into makeup or did you do something else first? I mean, I always tell the truth, but I really got to tell the truth because it's you. When I was in my junior year, going into my senior year of college, I was just like really getting more and more into makeup and beauty 
And my best friend was like, you should really think about doing this professionally. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So senior year comes, I'm looking to apply to grad schools. I did a summer program for a master's program and everything like that. And I just realized I was really, really unhappy. And I realized I had a lot of student loan debt that I was about to walk into. And I was about to get into more student loan debt. And I wasn't happy. So I started freelancing for MAC Cosmetics. I started dabbling in that while I was in my last year at Temple University. And then once I graduated, I was in Philadelphia. I'd grown up there. It was, you know, pretty much all I knew. I wasn't happy. I was trying to find my way, but also please my parents and my family. And finally, I had like an emotional kind of breakdown. And I was like, I got to get the F up out of here. I applied at the Mac store that doesn't even exist anymore in Soho. It was on Spring Street at the time. I paid $400 and put together what I thought was the most fabulous portfolio, but it was really horrible and hideous and a mess. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably wasn't, I wasn't, not probably, I wasn't a strong makeup artist, but I was very eager and very passionate about growing and learning. The manager didn't want to hurt my feelings. So instead of saying you didn't get the position, he said, well, we don't really have a full-time artist position. We only have this cashier position and you want to move here from New York. So before he could even finish, honey, I was like, I'll take it because I was like, I may not be the best makeup artist. I may not be able to contend with the best makeup artist, but no one cannot work me. And I was like, I'll take it and I'm going to learn and I'm going to show them and they're going to look at me like an asset. And that's what I did. What did you learn for being a cashier that set you up for success? You already said you're going to make yourself an asset, but were there other things you learned by just allowing yourself the opportunity to just get the job and do it, even though it wasn't the dream, quote unquote? I think to be very honest with you, what I learned then is still the most important thing that has served me and having the amazing opportunities I've had, whether with celebrities or editorials or anything in between, which is a true leader is really a servant in disguise. And if you really want to be a boss, as they say, that's a buzzword now, or a leader, you have to realize what you're doing is serving. And if you're really serving, it really has no room for ego. So for me, it was like, I wasn't worried about the title or what people were thinking, or people were like, oh, she graduated and now she's a cashier. I wasn't worried about all of that. I would come in early. I would ask to learn. I would want to know the ingredients of skincare and what made this tick. I embarrassed myself a lot because sometimes my foundation shade was too dark or too light. Or when I did get promoted to be an artist, every makeup I did wasn't phenomenal and stellar and very beautiful. But I always got back up and I always said, there's no time for your ego. Like, girl, get back up. You made a mistake. Keep learning. And that's what has served me to this point in my life. When you're working in a store like Mac and, you know, those stores used to be crowded. We don't know what they'll be post-COVID or what the retail environment is, but there are a lot of faces on which you're learning. What value did you get from, besides what you already mentioned, having all of those faces to train and to hone your craft on? For me, it was free school. That's what I always tell people because 
you're learning how to run a business, which as an artist in any realm, that's what you're doing. Whether you have a manager, an agent, a publicist, you still have to be hands-on on your own business. So for me, I would ask the manager, like, what's the goal for today? What's the revenue calendar? Well, how do you do that? Who determines what the goal is? I knew about the money aspect of it. And then in terms of the other aspect, it was free school in a sense that I never went to makeup school. And for me, it was an even better experience because it was like live, hands-on. It was like, if you ever watch um, an older show that used to come on Showtime at the Apollo, that's what it was like. And if you got it wrong, and if you matched that foundation wrong, you would get booed off the stage. The Sandman would come, <laughs> you know, in the sense that those women would say, what are you doing? Especially at the time in the early 2000s, when they had the Viva Glam spokespeople and Mary J. Blige, Little Kim, Missy Elliott. It was a big deal to work for Mac. And if you work for Mac and you didn't know what you were doing, it was an embarrassment. So that pressure... Gosh, oh, if I didn't know and I was scared and I was unsure, I would go to whoever the best artist was and I'd be like, Susie, what foundation shades do you think she looked like? Until I finally started to get my rhythm and I started to get it and I would say, oh, okay, when she looks like that, this is what it's supposed to be. It was free school. How did your parents take it? Both my parents are like traditional African parents in the sense that they want their children to be successful, like, you know, follow the rules. My dad is a lot more traditional and very, very big on education. My mom is more so as long as you're happy and you're successful and you strive to be the best at whatever you are. But I'll put it like this. My birthday is in January and my birthday just passed this past year, of course. And my dad was like, wish me happy birthday and everything like that. And he was like, you know, it's not too late for you to get your master's degree. <laughs> I'm like, sir. <laughs> you know, the audience and the people can have a better perspective on my very African parents. I mean, he said it, but they also have to acknowledge that you picked a dream and you become successful in that work. Yeah. And my dad, he's hilarious because he won't acknowledge certain things, but um, I had to learn behind my back. He acknowledges it with a stronger sense of pride into my face. And I didn't know this until one day he didn't realize that I was still in the room and I hadn't left. And he's like, you know, my daughter is working for an Emmy-nominated TV show. Did you know that? And I'm like, <laughs> but you act like what I do is not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he still has that dream. <laughs> if you could do both, he'd be really excited. She has a master's and she does that. Yes. How did you come to start working outside of the store? As a freelance makeup artist and with clients, some notable, some not, because I'm not notable. So you started working on other people and becoming known as someone to call. How did that come about? I think the first thing was always like putting my head down and doing the work, which sometimes it sounds a lot easier than said, because no matter what field you're in, it's like when you've been putting your head down for however many years and doing the work and you feel like it's not paying off, it's a test of faith and you can get discouraged. So that's the first thing is like just always keeping my faith to be very transparent, even in moments where I didn't believe in myself. I always believed in God to be very, very transparent because I'm not going to lie and say, oh, yeah, and 
And then, you know, I was working at Mac and then next thing you know, I transitioned. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, I worked for Mac for 10 years and it was more like while I worked at the Mac location in Harlem, a young lady came in. She remembered me from the Mac location in Soho. I didn't know who she was. I just thought she was a fab black woman, girl about town. And she was in a rush. We were slammed as we always were. And because I knew her, I was like, oh, I know what you need. You need this color in your concealer. This is your brow pencil. This is your gloss. I got you. And she was like, oh, do you do work outside of here? And I was like, "Uh, sometimes. Didn't think anything of it. This fab woman happened to be Dorothy Turan, who at the time was an editor at Essence. And I didn't have a website, a portfolio, nothing, because I was still growing. And she reached out and said, well, can you send me pictures of your work? I got one of my prettiest girlfriends. I beat her face from here to Kansas and back, honey. I sent in those pictures as my work. And then a few days later, she was doing like a press run with Morris Chestnut and T.D. Jakes for the film Not Easily Broken. And she asked me to do male grooming specifically for that. And that's how I literally got my start. But I was still working in beauty retail and freelancing very heavily. But that's how things started was I just always gave her great service. She remembered my face from Soho, gave me her card. And that's how the ball got rolling. And it's so funny that Zandalay Blay and I always credit each other. Zandalay is like, how do we meet Mimi? Didn't you send her to me? And I'm like, no, didn't you send her to me? <laughs> Dorothy, um, she's the one that really got the ball rolling. And from her, um, I started working with Mickey Taylor. And then I started working with you. And the real raw and honest truth was everyone was afraid of both you and Mickey And everyone was so intimidated by both of you. And so was I. So the truth of the matter was, I was so scared every time I had to do your makeup because I was like, it has to be perfect. You know, she's going to notice any little mistake. Girl, I'd be on the phone with my best friend. She'd be talking me off the ledge all the way till I got to your office. And that's the real truth. Oh, that is hilarious. (laughs) Because... Folks, when she got there, she was calm and zen and so precise with the way that she did my makeup. And I loved Mimi so much that I recommend my sister, you, my niece wanted to use her for her sweet 60. Everybody was calling her. (laughs) Everybody was calling her. So it's interesting how we don't always know what's going on in someone's mind when you're doing the work. But it is a perfect example of what maybe you're saying of do it afraid because it'll take you to another level. Yeah, I was terrified, y'all. I was terrified. And that's the God honest truth. I felt like you ladies were celebrities in a different form that's more popularized now. This was before Instagram and then Instagram slowly started to emerge. But you were influencers before they existed. You shifted and moved the culture And I felt like if I messed this up, this could be the end of me. And I just didn't want that kind of pressure. (laughs) Oh, wow. So from there, how did you grow further? I mean, I think that we started recommending you to other people. Yeah. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. 
head over to our website, pdbizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. So how would you describe the growth from there? To be very transparent, you, Dorothy, and so many other clients that became friends and really advocates of me started to just recommend me for other things and to other people. But I got to a space in my career where I started to become more and more clear about what I wanted out of this life and what I wanted it to look like. And I took a few years. And while I was working beauty retail, while I was freelancing very heavily, I assisted a high fashion editorial makeup artist that really helped me to understand skin and really helped me to understand what it meant to not rely on Photoshop when you're doing things like editorial work. I quietly did that for a couple of years and I was a first assistant. So I was first and foremost tired because I was always (laughs) working, but I took a beat to do that because I knew like, I just wanted my work to look a certain way and elevate. So my way of knowing it was working was when I would come and do your makeup and I would do a different technique and you would comment on it and you would say how much you liked it. But no one knew at the time that it was because I was assisting in addition to freelancing and working and things like that. So about 12 seasons of New York Fashion Week, that exposed me to doing um, different editorials that weren't mainstream, but very respected in the fashion community. Um, That exposed me to a very different world that really just like leveled up my taste level. So yeah, I just kept growing in that sense, growing in that way. Then it was just a matter of people always complimenting me in terms of like how calm I was and professional, how sometimes with some people or clients that may come off like I'm very private or to myself, but for me, I'd rather somebody say, you know what, Mimi's really talented and professional rather than something else that has to do with my personality. So as time went on, that kind of started to become my brand and people craved that feeling more than anything else. And then recommendations and referrals came. Even um, my opportunity to work with Kiki came from a friend who was really good friends with her then publicist. And we all hung out one night. We went to this burlesque men's thing and she told me what she did, but I still didn't say, oh, well, girl, can you put me on? Plug me in. I love Kiki. It wasn't even on that vibe. I was just like, oh, that's awesome. Because in my mind, I'll never miss what's for me. And then time went on and her and I just were very cool. I still never asked her to plug me into anything. And then one day out of the blue, She was like, can you do a makeup for her, you know, and show her your work and what you're capable of doing? That was on a Sunday, I believe. And then I was hired to do her makeup Monday morning. Wow. In this last segment, you have dropped so many gems. First, that to take a step backward propelled you forward. Yeah. Like that assisting and doing it quietly. See, we're in this age where even before we do something, we announce it. And that's no shade to Gen Z, to millennials or anything. It's more that this is the culture now. For the most part, we announce, we've got an idea, we tell everybody before we do it. And then while we're doing it, and then after we do it. But in this instance, you 
decided that a better approach was to keep it to yourself, level up your skills, and show up brand new with new skills. And and that's an important thing because a lot of times when we get to a certain place, sometimes ego comes into play. But as I said this pretty recently, you know, we get attached to positions and titles, but it's about the work. And sometimes the title is a good one and sometimes it's not, but it's about the work and the work can still be good no matter where or when it is. Right. And then secondly, you also gave a good example of what networking is. It's not put me on. Hey, my name is put me on. It's getting to know somebody without pressure and being in an environment where they can study and get to know you. And then if opportunity arises, they think of you. But in some instances, a hard sell could work, but that's not networking. That's a sales pitch. Right. You're just selling. Yeah. But when you're networking, you are just trying to expand the people that you know. Absolutely. I'm so happy you said that because I feel like in this age and generation of like receipts, receipts, and if it wasn't photographed, if it wasn't filmed, you weren't there. I think it cheapens the experience that you can have with people and even sometimes with your career. And people don't know how far it goes when people feel like they can trust you, when people feel like you're professional. Of course, my career is still growing, but I went through a phase where I felt like with my friends and my homegirls, I am this big personality and I'm cracking jokes and I'm impersonating people and I'm hella silly. But when it comes to clients, I am, like you said, calm, zen, because I realized I'm shifting energy in a space. And I felt like, do I have to be this big personality in a sense? And as time went on, I realized, no, you don't. People respect you even more when they see that you're just doing the work quietly. Well, almost every client that I've worked with, I didn't broadcast it. I didn't start putting it on social media until like maybe a month or two months out. Because my thing was, this isn't your client, Mimi. This is somebody that you work with one time. (laughs) And also... I just wanted to preserve that energy for a little bit and just have them vibe it out and vibe with me. And sometimes, you know, you can post right away, nothing wrong with that. But a lot of the times I like to wait and just let it marinate. Like, I'm not worried about the accolade. That ain't going nowhere. Because that's another gem right there. Because if you're good, the accolades will always come. Yeah. You don't have to worry about getting it in that moment. People will appreciate the work whenever they see it. They do the work. That's it. Like I listened to an interview Pharrell did maybe a few years ago now. And he was like, if you're hot and if you're good and if you're popping, the kids will sniff you out and they will do the promoting for you. And that's how I feel in a sense for me is like, I just want to put my head down. I want to do the work. I don't want to tell people I'm this or I'm that. I feel like I really am that when other people are saying it for me. I love that you continue to straddle retail and private clients and sometimes celebrity. You straddle all of these worlds simultaneously. What is the biggest challenge in doing that? Oh, gosh, there's a few challenges. 
But I think for me, just being really raw and transparent, the biggest challenge was just drowning out all of the noise and realizing like, I'm writing my own story. If this is my story, I'm not Kevin Aquan, so it's not going to look like his story. And when I started getting like really real with myself and saying, okay, what's your story, Mimi? What's up? What does that mean? It means you're a girl that loves makeup and beauty, but you love fashion. You love nice things. Some of them happen to be designer, but you like quality things. You want to be able to consistently afford that. You want a certain lifestyle. And me also getting older, I was like, I want to just keeping it real. I want a 401k. I want a retirement plan and things of that nature that I knew working for a brand would also enable me to do while I established myself with clients and other situations. And I always knew that, you know, now independently and full-time freelance, and it happened very, very organically, but I had so many people like, oh, well, you should take a meeting with this agent or, oh, you know, you're working at GMA, you're doing this, girl, you need to leave, you're good. You know, I know you're tired, I know you're exhausted, but their goals weren't my goals. Their financial situation wasn't mine and I wasn't trying to stunt and front and keep up for nobody. I felt like this is my reality. This is how I like to live. This is what I can afford. And I'm not swerving lanes. It's less traffic when I'm in my lane. The biggest challenge was just drowning out that noise and being stubborn in a sense. You know, even some people would be like, well, it's not a good look when you're freelancing or working with celebrities and you work beauty retail. Okay, so I'm not ashamed of my truth. I'm proud of my job. I work very, very hard and it affords me to do a lot of things for myself and other people. So yeah, that's what I would say. I'm just like, amazed by the clarity that you have. I guess it's the psychology background where you can have a talk with yourself. You almost give yourself therapy here in terms of being transparent and truthful and living for yourself. I mean, a lot of times when we're in industries that are consumer facing, we often live for the fans, so to speak, if there are fans. You know, we're living for the other people in the industry so that they see what we do, how we do it, that kind of thing. And the statement you just made is like, no, that's lovely and that's all well and good, but I know what I need, not just now, but what I'm going to need in the future. Yes, I think not everyone, but there are some moments where people would try to shame me for it. And I felt like I'm not ashamed. I work very hard. I'm proud of where I work. I earned a nice salary. And for me, I started thinking about other things, forward thinking in terms of my health insurance, in terms of my 401k, my retirement, you know, my student loans and things of that nature. And for me, I just felt like, okay, I'm a single girl, just keeping it real. I hope to and know that I will meet my soulmate and get married. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to deny the quality of life that I want right now. Just real talk, Corinne, having that full-time job and that salary, it enabled me to also invest in being able to assist and not getting paid for two years, pretty much, and getting paid maybe here and there, but not really making much money because assisting doesn't entail really making much money. But it didn't affect me because I had that job. 
you know, and I was also able to invest in my own personal presentation and my own image. So whether or not I have a manager, an agent or nothing, I'm looking and presenting myself a certain way. So you're not handling me any old type of way. And that's with a client or with somebody that I'm trying to date. That's amazing. And there's so much there in terms of being your own person as you establish your career and making choices that work for you, which other people may not agree with, but the bottom line is that's okay. You make the decision and that means being in touch with yourself. You know, you have to do the work to know that. There are a couple of books that I love that talk about that. Stephen Pressfield's Do the Work, which is the second book in The War of Art. The War of Art kind of talks about it, but he has a book specifically called Do the Work. There's a book called Callings, which really hones in on what you're called to do. It does have some scripture in it, but anybody could read this book and really assess where they are. It makes you confront what you really want out of life. And when we do that, then we can walk a path like you. We can walk a path and like be unafraid. And not to say that because we're on that path, there won't be some challenges there. It's just that we know it's our path. What do you think the unsung skill is to do what you do? Faith. That's the skill. It's a skill that I continue to work on exercising. It's a skill that has kept me because I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I'm just this poised and zen and oh, I got it together and the Lord always comes through. I feel like that's BS. No, like there are so many moments where I've just broken down emotionally and cried and wanted to give up. And there's so many moments where I've wiped my own tears and had to get back up because I thought this opportunity would lead to this and it didn't. And to be very transparent, the unsung skill is faith. That has been for me the only thing that has kept me in moments where I felt like, what am I doing or what am I doing wrong? Or you feel like, oh, I'm moving in the right step and in the right direction. And it's almost like somebody just took a rope and went whoosh and just pulled you back. And in those moments, I've had to dig my heels in and I'm not going to lie in front and say anything else. In those moments, that's what I have had to do. If someone is interested in being a makeup artist, what advice do you have for them? My advice would be first and foremost to ask yourself why you want to do it, especially now because it's a cool thing, especially with social media and instant accolade and gratification. So one, ask yourself why. Two, once you answer that, I would probably then look at some artists that you admire and respect in terms of their work and their quality of work. And I always think it's a great thing to assist or try to assist in any capacity. I think that that goes a really long way because you learn etiquette and things that you never learn by just doing makeup. You learn just protocol and certain things, you know, like you're working with a client and doing all of this. You're not going to be like taking selfies and asking to take a picture with them. Those things that like a school can never teach you. I would definitely say that. And I would also say beauty retail. There's no better teacher than literally just being thrown in there and learning on every different complexion possible. 
And also through that, you don't know who's going to walk through those doors. You don't know who you're going to be helping that can hire you for a job because they just like your work. And once people like something, they will talk about it. If they love an experience, they'll share it with whoever will listen. That's deep. Do you think that they would need to go to makeup school or do you think beauty retail is a school? I think everyone has their own path. It definitely helps, but it's not mandatory. Okay, that makes sense. So how has COVID impacted the work that you do? To be honest with you, I feel very selfish to say this, but it's impacted it in a positive way. It's made me really lean in on my resources. It's made me get creative and realize like whatever I need, I already have within. And it's like you have what you need in your hands. Like you just got to lean in and you got to shift that hustle and get creative. How did the social justice reckoning impact you, if at all, in terms of your work as a makeup artist? It rocked me, to be very honest. It made me very, very clear about my purpose. Makeup is the median, but my purpose is to shift and to advocate specifically for Black women. And it made me very clear that that doesn't necessarily mean that all my clients are white or have to be white, but I'm even more specific about the quality of client and the quality of things that I do. I had the opportunity to work with two women that shifted and shift the culture in so many ways. Working with Kiki and seeing all of the things that she did to advocate for Black people, that just motivated and inspired me even more. And then to work with Tamika Mallory and to see firsthand how she's about that life. Like she doesn't just talk it, she's about that life. And she's educated me in so many different ways. It's just made me be really clear. I used to feel like I'm so small. I'm only one person. What can I possibly do? And I stopped thinking like that. And I started to show up as much as possible for Black women specifically. I started to be very clear in terms of just how I spent my money and what that looked like and what being an ally versus an accomplice looked like. Yeah, I think that that's important because we each can make a difference. It doesn't matter if people know our names or not. And it's using our voices and being really intentional about what kind of impact we want to make in the work that we do every day. I mean, I think in part, these conversations, that's one of the ways I do this because I put the spotlight on BIPOC women, particularly Black women, though. And in their work in this industry and related fields and how important the work that they do is, the work that all of you do is. And I just think that is critical. It's not about flossing or anything like that. It's not about like, look at me. This is important because anybody of any age that wants to be in this industry can listen to these conversations and learn something. Mm-hmm. learn some really important things that they're not going to teach you in a classroom. They're not going to teach you on your corporate job, your creative job. These are the inside lessons that people can impart to you that you can use for your own benefit. You're absolutely right. And to be very candid, pre-COVID, I had been working for a very well-known luxury beauty retailer And I had quietly been dealing with a lot of racism and microaggression. 
And I made attempts to really reconcile because I'm not the type of person to just be like, you're racist, you're this, but everything that happened with Brianna and with George Floyd, it motivated me even more to say, you know what, Mimi, knees shaking, hands clamoring, speak up. I dealt with a lot of backlash. I dealt with even more microaggression and racism. But you know what, Corinne? I wouldn't change it for the world and I would do it again because take me out of the equation, they will think twice in terms of the way they handle the next Black person to be very, very transparent. It pushed me and motivated me to really start to go to therapy because especially as Black women primarily, we deal with so much trauma, but we deal with it with so much grace and finesse and strength that we don't even identify it as trauma. And it took that for me to really realize therapy is important and how can I be whole and shift the energy for a client when I'm not even all the way addressing certain traumas and you know microaggressions and racism that I've experienced in work environments. Well. Bravo that you're doing that. Thank you. It's a necessary thing. And that goes to what we talked about earlier in terms of you got to address taking care of yourself because once you take care of yourself, you know what you need. Education is a very important part of the work that you do. And you started a series of workshops for consumers. Can you tell me about why you started them and then what you hope to accomplish? I've been educating and teaching and doing a lot of private one-on-one classes and lessons for a really long time, but I started doing workshops. My first one is coming up March 25th because I felt like I love teaching and I like to break things down and make it make sense in a way that's like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Like, I'm sure we've watched a million YouTubes about contouring and highlighting But in the past, when I've done one-on-ones or classes and I've said, contouring is like wearing all black. What do you do when you wear all black? You want to look skinnier. You want to look smaller. It's something dark that you're putting on. That's contouring. You're literally adding something darker to that particular area. Why? Because you want to make it look smaller, skinnier. Once I start breaking things down like that, I could literally see the light bulb start to go off. And I'm a big believer in once you know why you're doing something, it makes it a lot easier to do whatever that something is. So the first one is March 25th. That's the same day this episode comes out. So a lot of people will listen to this afterward. How can they get on your mailing list or follow you so that they can know about the next ones coming up? Because this is virtual while we're still inside. Soon they'll be in person, but how could they take advantage of getting the knowledge directly from you? My Instagram is at Mimi Kamara, and it's M-I-M-I-K-A-M-A-R-A. And I put pretty much all of my updates, all of my information, mainly on that platform. My website is the same thing, MimiKamara.com. And they can like join my mailing list through there as well. But I engage a lot and provide a lot of updates and information specifically through my Instagram. And to be very honest with you, while I love educating and teaching, The very first one, I'm going to also get feedback in terms of what people want to see more of. I have a list of topics in terms of the series, but I also want to 
kind of like read the room and see like what's going on now that women aren't wearing masks. What do you guys want to see a lot more of? People are dealing with mask need, acne from the mask. What do you guys want to see? So I'm going to take a beat after the first class and learn what people want to see and hear more of and also get feedback on what I could have done to just make things a little bit easier and then go from there. In your thoughts, like you dealt with racism, you worked at major brands, would you go back to retail based upon our previous conversation that you're looking at kind of where you want to be? If the opportunity were right, would you work with another retail brand? They say never say never in life, but I can confidently say no. It served its purpose. I've poured a lot and made a lot of these businesses and companies a lot of money. And I'm ready and have the space and capacity now to do that for myself. So the answer will confidently be no. I still get approached with certain things, but I think understanding and educating myself as well on the layers of racism and microaggression. I've never, ever been approached by a beauty retailer that I felt was fully not just an ally, but an accomplice and being not just anti-racist but moving the mark forward. And when I look at these brands and their executive boards, outside of maybe a Black retail manager, which I was, you don't see a lot of Black faces. And if these are the people influencing and determining my growth and my future, it's virtually impossible for you to fully understand my story when you don't even look like me. And that's very true. And I mean, there have been promises made by many companies, but the jury's still out as to how effective they'll be in addressing these issues. Yeah, you're right. For me, with that said, it's not something that I'm running to or racing to. I think I've served my purpose in that space and I've done my due diligence. Okay. So what's next for you? I'm a lot more focused on building my brand. I hate that word sometimes, but building my business and my brand now more than ever solidifying myself as not just an educator and a makeup artist, but really a culture shifter, someone that makes people rethink how they look at beauty and how they define beauty. That's the space that I'm in. And that's something that's really, really important to me. And outside of that, I used to have a long like list of, oh, I want to work with this person and that person. And I started to get older and I realized like, Mimi, you don't know those people. You don't know if they're crazy. You don't know if they're quietly racist. So for me, I stopped saying that and instead wanting to attract experiences where I can bring positivity and positive energy and elevate. And that's it. And that's what's happening. And I'm attracting those opportunities and clients. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What was the first product you ever bought or tried? First product was Black Opal Stick Foundation and I think Walnut. You know the shade too. Yep. That was the first one from Rite Aid. What's the latest product you've tried? It's a couple. The latest for me, I actually have it like right here randomly, but this NARS cream blush and it's like a cream blush, but it dries down matte. So I've been using that on my cheeks my eyes, my lips, and that's been like my jam lately. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Don't force a damn thing. 
If it's not working, I don't care how popular it is. I don't care how on trend it is. Don't force it. You know how they say, don't force ponytails, friendships. Don't force something that is not for you. You know, like smoky eyes at one point. That was like a really big trend, but not everybody could wear it and wear it well. So for me, my biggest thing is don't force it because when you don't feel confident and it just doesn't feel like you and organic, everybody can tell. And it doesn't matter how good it looks. If it's wearing you and you're not wearing it, don't do it. What's the beauty trend that you did when you were younger that makes you laugh now? It makes me laugh, but I'm like, you know what? It was hot. And that was the black lip. I used to get me a 99 cent black eyeliner from the hair store and I would put it on my lips. Sometimes I would add my 99 cent gloss on top. And I was like 14 and it was definitely inspired by the rapper Foxy Brown. She, to me, is a vibe and a mood board. And that's something that I laugh at. Like, girl, you were like 14. What were you doing? But in hindsight, it was a trend and a vibe. Yeah. Would you say that Foxy was one of your Black beauty icons growing up? Hell yeah. I felt like she was the voice for like the Black girls that loved to get fly, wanted to be fly, loved luxury, even if you didn't have it, even if you couldn't afford it, you wanted it, you know, you wanted to be that girl, whatever that looked like to you in your mind. And I feel like she just embodied that in so many ways, like the way she wore her makeup, her fashion sense. And I'm sure she herself was a kid looking back on it, but yeah, she was like the influencer before that existed. Right. So who would be that for you now? I just feel like knowledge of self is that for me now. I wouldn't say there's one person that does that for me because I feel like now once I check my damn self and I call out my own toxic traits and I'm working on me, that inspires me and motivates me. This is kind of like a typical beauty question, but what is the product you can't live without? Oh gosh, I can't live without concealer because I can do anything with concealer. Give us a tip on the most important thing to get right on your face. I would definitely say your skin is the most important thing to get right. That's your foundation. You could have on a fabulous couture gown and if you have awful underwear on, what good is the dress? So it's the same thing. You could invest in Fenty this and this brand that and all of the accoutrements, but what good is it if you don't have not just the right color, but the right type, you know, meaning if you're oily, if you're combination, maybe you need a translucent powder. That to me is the holy grail. And with that said, don't rule out how to master and perfect your skin. You know, we could both be going to Bergdorf or we could both be going to the Lower East Side. You can take a cab, I can take the train, but we both got there. It's the same thing. So that might mean just two different concealers and no foundation. Or that could mean a foundation and a concealer. Don't rule out what it's going to take to get there. Just get there. Ooh, I love it. On that note, I want to thank you so much for being transparent because you were very transparent about your journey and for giving hope for people who really want to do this. If you want to do this, this is an episode that will give you the real insight into what it takes to succeed. 
And it's not always pretty, but it's a worthwhile journey when you know where you're going. Amen. (laughs) I can't thank you enough. I mean, thank you. And I wish you all the best. Every time I see the next thing you're doing, I'm over here cheering. Even if you don't know it, I'm over here cheering for you. And I know that so many people are because you are who you are. You are that quiet force. And only way to go for you is up. Oh, okay. I like that. Thank you. (laughs) So that's our show, everybody. And um, we'll see you again soon. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here.